Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Florida head football coach Dan Mullen says the Gators have maybe lost their foundation and he may have all three quarterbacks play in the season opener. The Bulldogs of Georgia have reloaded, and we discuss Jimbo Fisher's chances of winning a national title at Texas A&M with Times College writer Matt Baker, who's at the SEC Media Days in Atlanta. We'll talk to him in just a few minutes. Blake Snell makes his all-star debut, and his first pitch was memorable. We'll tell you how the Rays' lefty fared, and MLB Commissioner Rob Manford weighs in on the Rays' new stadium plans. Maybe he can float them alone. All that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Before we get started with the podcast, let me tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and get a free 30-day trial. That's a $15 value, and as a listener to this podcast, you also get a free audiobook. Now, here's what you do. Go to audibletrial.com slash sportsday. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash sportsday for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. Matt Baker joins us now from the SEC meetings. And, Matt, all I can say is howdy. <laughs> that <laughs> howdy, was just, well, the A&M the, thing. You, you, you say howdy, and I say howdy back. That apparently is <laughs> Texas A&M culture. I, I didn't necessarily know that either, but we, we learned something from Jimbo yesterday. <laughs> the always educational Jimbo Fisher. So fascinating story you wrote today in the Tampa Bay Times uh, about Jimbo. And and the one thing I'll say about him, I, I was really surprised sort of how candid he has been uh, or was uh, about his last year at Florida State. I mean, he basically admitted that he got distracted and, and kind of mailed it in in a way. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised with, with the candor as well. Um, he, he was, you know, I was indestined for the SEC meeting that he didn't talk much about Florida State at all. I didn't expect right. him to talk a whole lot about it here in Atlanta for the SEC media days, but he was asked about it and he answered. I mean, the, the fact is, whatever he was going to say, it was pretty obviously a distraction. I mean, there, I knew I first started hearing the rumor and I was late to the party, probably five, six weeks before anything actually became close to fruition. And obviously the last week or so, he was getting asked about it a ton. It was the elephant in the room, and he kept ignoring it. But we knew eventually it was probably going to happen. Um, Jimbo had, had so many flirtations with SEC programs in the past. It was one with Auburn briefly, uh, LSU, I think in a couple different years, and obviously A&M was the one that lured him away. He knew eventually it, was, it might happen. Um, but the way it went down was, I mean, he asked yesterday, uh, Mike Bianca, the Orlando Sentinel, asked about how he left, and Jimbo says, is there ever a good way to leave? Well, there, there, there are better ways, and that certainly wasn't one. Um, Jimbo still doesn't necessarily want to acknowledge that, but he did acknowledge the fact that he had you know great memories and great times at Florida State with Finkelford. So I think some of the things he said kind of maybe tried to smooth things over a little bit with an FSU fan base that is still very upset with him, but I think those hurt feelings are, aren't going anywhere. You know, he had the SEC background. He mentioned LSU, uh, of course, where where he sort of came from before Florida State as their offensive coordinator. Um, but with all the success he had at Florida State, I mean, that seems to be 
a destination school, to say the least. Did he just have a desire to coach in the SEC again? Obviously, $7.5 million will convince you to do a lot of things. So what ultimately was it that you think either pushed him out of Florida State or, or made him head to Texas A&M? I think there was a couple things. One, he wouldn't acknowledge it, but I think there was a little bit of an SEC itch that he wanted to scratch. I mean, obviously he mm-hmm. built Florida State into a national power. He built Florida State into a national power, I should say. Um, but he did it in a league that was not as good top to bottom as the SEC. Now, it, was, it had been for one year in 2016. I thought the ACC was the best league in the country. But year in, year out, it's going to be the SEC. So I think there was a little bit of an itch to scratch there. I think the other things is, look, he, he was the head coach for, what, eight seasons? That's a really long time to be in one job at a place like a Florida State or a Notre Dame or, or a, a, you know, an Alabama. It's really hard to do that because after a while, you know, 10 wins isn't good enough anymore. And I, I, I don't know if, if he was feeling that way, but I certainly think um, it would be easy to, to feel that way. And the other thing is the relationship was starting to get strained. Not starting to, the relationship was strained between him and some of the either administration or the boosters or the power brokers up there in Tallahassee. You know, one of the reasons that uh, FS, that he was able to rebuild Florida State, one reason why FSU is still a very good job with Willie Taggart, a great job, is because of all the facilities and all the upgrades that Jimbo made, be that the indoor practice facility, the new players' lounge, the locker room, uh, some of the technology infrastructure with GPS and what have you, and, and nutrition upgrades. Those are things that he pushed. And again, it worked out. They won a national championship. That's a very good program. However, the other side of it is when you keep asking for more and more and more, and you keep asking for more and more and more, like the standalone football complex, where you're in the middle of the worst season in a long time and in danger of missing the bowl game for the first time in four decades, those things really begin to wear on it. And I think what happened was he kept asking for more, bit off, tried to bite off a little bit more than he could chew, and finally with another flirtation with an SEC program during a bad season, I think it was enough where, all right, well, you want to go, go. How much of a chance does he have um, to, to win an SEC title? And, and if he's able to do that and, and, and sort of take down Alabama, I guess he would have to um, be in contention for a national title. Or is it just enough? I mean, is A&M a different place where it's not, you know, you have to get in the BCS Final Four or bust? I mean, just what is what kind of a challenge is he looking at there? Well, as I wrote in today's Times, it's not playoff or bust. It is championship or bust. A&M has made <laughs> that very, very clear. When when, uh, when everyone knew it was going to be Jimbo, one of the power brokers there was asked what he's looking for in a, in a head coach. There's somebody who can bring a national championship, is what he said. All of the players I talked to yesterday asked them what they knew about Jimbo when he came. They all knew nothing or very little other than the fact that he was one of four active coaches to win a national championship. The yeah. chancellor of A&M gave Jimbo a plaque, a national championship plaque with the date to fill in. It is quite clear. It is not playoff or bust. It is national championship or bust. The question is if and when. I think A&M certainly has the infrastructure to compete for a national championship. They've got you know top five, top three facilities in the country. They've got one of the biggest athletic uh, budgets in the country. They are the SEC school in Texas. So they are in the premier conference and one of the top three states in producing high school talent and recruits in the country. There is no reason why they can't compete and win a national championship. Problem is they haven't done it since 1939. So what's been the issue? Has it been coaching or has it been other issues? And that's what we're going to find out with Jimbo. Um, I certainly don't expect the Aggies to compete for a national championship this year. Uh, They don't have enough firepower. Their schedule 
Uh, they have Clemson and at Alabama in the first four weeks. You know, those are going to be one and two or two and one in the country to start. So the schedule's going to be brutal for them to start. It's not going to happen this year. They've got the number two recruiting class in 2019, so maybe they're going to make roads down the line. In terms of when they could do it, it's going to depend, I think, partially on when Nick Saban decides to call it a quits at Bama. And I don't have an answer for that, whether that's next year or five years or ten years. So I think they're going to be in a position in a couple of years where they're going to be competing at a very high level, and maybe one year they'll be able to knock off Bama and push for it and get it done. But it's still going to take a good amount aligning for that to happen. You had a front row seat to Jimbo's biggest success, and that was with uh, quarterback Jameis Winston when they won a national championship and went uh, to the semifinal. And, you know, we know uh, it's well documented. You documented most of it, the the, the issues big and small that Jameis had at Florida State. I guess Jimbo was asked about Winston's latest um, situation that's got him into a three-game suspension. What did he have to say? And, and, um, you know, Describe that relationship, uh, if you can, and whether or not we should look at, at Jimbo as, as, as an enabler or somebody that just has, uh, you know, um, you know, what is their relationship? Oh, Rick, bring up the enabler thing. You're, you're, you're not letting, giving me any wiggle room, are you? Well, um, I mean, look, well, I, all, I, I don't know that he is or he isn't, <laughs> but I do know that he was the guy that stood by him through um, a, lot of, a lot of things. Now, he did suspend him, you know, for the Clemson game after – uh, standing, you know, on a chair in the student union and those types of things, and and he let due process take its place on the other issues. But I, I don't know. I mean, like, um, you know, was he, he? I know he coached him hard, but does he does he have a a blind spot for him? Is it is it, is it like a father son relationship? What is it? Well, I'm going to correct you. He didn't suspend him against Clemson. Florida State suspended him against Clemson. Good point. It was initially a half, and, and it was uh, extended to a game. My understanding was that Jimbo was not happy about either part of that equation, but was overruled. Um, mm. So that, that's the first thing. Um, yeah. He, he said yesterday, um, to, get, to answer the first part first, he said yesterday, I, was, I don't know what all Jameis was accused of doing or did, but obviously disappointed. He'll move on. I still love him. Uh, mm. Their relationship was very tight. Uh, you know, Jimbo is known as a quarterback's guru, quarterback's whisperer. I mean, whether that yeah. was Jamarcus Russell at LSU, um, whether it was Christian Ponder and EJ Manuel, and obviously Jameis at Florida State, he is he works very very closely with quarterbacks. I mean, Randy Sanders had the title of quarterbacks coach at FSU, but we all know who was the quarterbacks coach at Florida State, and it was John James Jimbo Fisher. So they they work very closely together, and Jimbo's obviously great at what he does, which is why he's groomed those first round quarterbacks, even though some of them have not panned out in the NFL. That to me speaks highly of what Jimbo was able to do. Uh, with developing them to get the most out of them in college. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as the, did he enable Jameis? Um, there are certainly people around Florida state who are unhappy with how it all went down. And they would argue that yes, he did. Um, it's all, it, it's tricky because it depends on what you think Jameis did or didn't do um, sure. in December of, of 2012 and what, he did or did not do later on with some of the other things. I mean, I think what the facts are is James, uh, Jimbo stuck with Jameis through thick and thin. Just as honestly, mm-hmm. he stuck up for most of his players over the course of his tenure. There were some that he picked off quickly when he needed to and when he had to and when the facts were very clear. In, in the case of the, the Jameis accusations, he waited till all the facts came in and he felt what he knew that Jameis didn't do anything wrong and stuck with it. 
you can de- you can decide for yourself whether that's enabling or whether that's um, admirable because it just depends on what you think happened. Um, so they but they have a very tight relationship. Um, obviously, they still do to to some degree, and I, I think it's fair to say that Jameis is the person he is in part because of his relationship with Jimbo, and I'll let you decide what that means. Well, there's no question he benefited from his coaching because uh, all the coaches will tell you that uh, when he came to the Bucks, he was as prepared as any quarterback um, that there was in college football to uh, to take over an NFL offense. So there's that. You'll have a chance to talk later today with uh, Florida's new coach, uh, Dan Mullen, um, who is, uh, in addition to being the head coach, will also be the play caller for the Gators, I guess. Um, just to, from a macro standpoint, what, what impact do you think that Dan will have on that Florida program this year and, and in the near future? Well, it's, I think uh, the biggest thing I can say is it'll be a, it has been a fresh of breath air for the, the fan base and kind of the, the program as a whole. Um, I've had some, some longtime Gator fans tell me going to games has become painful. And some of that was Will Muschamp and the style of play that he had. Some of it was Jim McElwain and either the system he ran or his personality or whatever. He never seemed to fit the Gainesville culture. Uh, Dan Mullen does. He's been there. He's done that. He can name drop, you know, uh, talking ball with, with the head ball coach, Steve Spurrier, and the days of Percy and Tim Tebow and all that stuff. He gets it. He knows what the Gator program is about and what it is supposed to be. The biggest thing I can say is, again, he knows the culture, and that's been a fresh breath air for, for the fan base and the program. Um, yeah. I think kind of the, the big question is, what is he going to do to make the Gators great again? Uh, I think some of it is he's going to run a style of offense that I think you know, should be fun. That's kind of one of the things Scott Strickland said. They were looking for somebody who could make Florida fun again, and I think Mullen has the offense that can do that, You know, certainly scoring a lot of points, you know, kind of – RPO, newer cutting edge stuff, running quarterbacks, that has the potential to be an exciting and entertaining breed of offense that Florida hasn't had really since Mullen left after the 08 championship season. The, the, the question that I have is, is he going to be able to recruit at a high enough level to get them where they're competing against Georgia and obviously Alabama and potentially A&M in the, in the, in the top echelon of the SEC? Um, he didn't need to do to recruit at such a high level at Mississippi State, or he couldn't because of the type of player that Mississippi State typically brings in. At Florida, you have the potential to recruit at a top 10 level, and you should be if you're going to be competing. Currently, uh, Gators class, I think, is 33 in the country. Um, and there's still a lot of time between now and the, the two signing days, so maybe that can change. But Mullen wasn't necessarily known as a great recruiter. The coaches he brought with his staff aren't necessarily known as great recruiters either. So it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do on the trail and who he's able to bring in, either in terms of the high-end guys who can make an impact or if he's just a good enough coach where he can take uh, you know, your, high, your high threes, low four-star guys and make a national championship contender out of it. Well, a lot of his success at Mississippi State centered around one player, and, and now he's the quarterback of the Cow, I guess, Dak yep. Prescott. Um, so, you know, it would be great if he could find somebody like that. Um, how much credibility does that bring him uh, with that position? And, I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at Florida's quarterback situation, you know, Felipe Franks is about really the only guy that returns that has any experience. His tape wasn't great last year, but he has a freshman in Emory Jones. Would they play that guy uh, in the SEC right off the bat? I mean, what do you think will happen at that position um, in the short term anyway? Well, it's kind of funny. I was talking with with our uh, 
our college's editor, Tracy Johnson, the other day. And one story I'll probably end up writing before uh, the start of the season is about Dan Mullen as a quarterback guru. And I remember thinking I wrote the exact same story, except instead of uh, Dan Mullen, I was writing about Jim McElwain as a quarterback guru before <laughs> he right. coached his first game in Gainesville. So I guess I'll just replace all of those and uh, <laughs> do a find all and replace the name. Um <laughs> But Mullen it does have a, a good track record with, with quarterbacks. Some of that was obviously because of Urban Meyer, but I mean he worked with Alex yeah. Smith, who's obviously was a very talented guy at Utah and has gone on to do uh, you know, be an NFL player. Tim Tebow, of course. Uh, I guess I don't think I need to say anything more about that. Um, Dak Prescott, Nick Fitzgerald, and Mississippi State. He'll be uh, here in Atlanta for media day tomorrow. I'm excited to talk to him because he's one of the more talented. I think more fun players to watch in the SEC at quarterback. So Mullen's been able to groom that position over the years and do very good things with it. The question is, what does he have on the Florida's roster? Uh, Felipe Franks is very, very talented. I mean, NFL people, like, his just raw tool. He can chuck at 70-something yards. We saw that in the Hail Mary for the, the last-second play he threw to beat Tennessee, the 63-yarder. He can move. I mean, he had the longest rush by a quarterback in Gators history against Texas A&M. So he has the, the tool. The question is, does he have the mental makeup to process information, to feel the pass rush, and to, to do all the little things that you have to do to be a successful quarterback at the SEC level? And I don't think we know the answer to that. We, we saw, obviously, what he did at Florida last year. I don't know if that was fair enough to judge him because the offensive line was great. The run game wasn't great. And obviously there's a new coaching staff and a new system. So we'll see about that. Um, Emory Jones is a talented guy. Ohio State had him, and then uh, Gators were able to pluck him away late before the first signing period. I don't think he's ready to play day one, uh, maybe later in the year. Certainly the redshirt rule allowing players to play four games without burning the redshirt. He might be a guy who could benefit from that. We'll find out. And then the other one is Kyle Pratt kind of a forgotten guy in this. Um, he was a high school backup in Manville, Texas. The, the guy in front of him, Derek King, a talented uh, runner and a good quarterback. He's now the starter at Houston. So it wasn't like he was behind a schlub. But Trask has a strong arm. Trask is accurate. He looked better than I thought he would in spring ball. So I, I expect him to certainly be in the mix with, with Franks in terms of the starter. And we'll see who fits Mullen's offense and what they want to do uh, best heading into the opener against mighty Charleston Southern. <laughs> Love those Gator openers. It's the preseason of college football. Um, you had a chance, I think, or we'll have a chance if you haven't already to talk to Kirby Smart. I don't think there was a coach in the nation that hit it bigger than Kirby, obviously. Is Georgia reloaded? Are they now um, sort of in the conversation with the Alabamas of the SEC now? Yeah, yeah, they've reloaded. I think they're going to take a slight step back just because they lost so much. I mean, they lose with Sony Michel and Nick Chubb maybe the best running back tandem in the history of college football. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. So they're going to take a... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Step back, get a bunch of guys drafted. Now, the good thing for Georgia is they recruited at an extremely high level. I think they brought in like seven five stars in this 2018 class. So they're going to have guys who they can 
plug in. Um, but I do think they're going to take a slight step back. However, I still think they're going to be the class of the SEC East, and I think they're going to be here in Atlanta in December uh, playing probably Bama for the SEC title. Speaking of Bama, I'll let you go on this one, and I appreciate your time. Uh, Nick Saban uh, is always the, and to me, the biggest entertainment since Steve Spurrier has left uh, the SEC, is in the coaching ranks anyway. Um, every year it seems like he has something, right, whether he's complaining about – um, you know, these satellite-type uh, camps or, satellite or camps, yeah. Harbaugh take, taking his team across the country, whatever it is. I mean, there's always – can you put on your prediction hat and try to tell me what Nick Saban's going to be grousing about this year? Well, there's a couple things. Um, I don't know if he's going to say it now, but he wants the SEC to go to nine conference games. And I think he does – he wants that because it, he's going to have – the, the best team year in, year out, and I think that's going to give him a little bit more margin for error if they slip up. Um, that's something that I wouldn't be surprised if he brings up. Uh, Commissioner Greg Sinke said yesterday they're going to keep talking about maybe moving from eight to nine conference games, but they're not ready to do anything yet. So that's kind of one of the things that Saban is, is a fan of. Another thing, this this is, uh, I think, maybe peak Saban. The NCAA changed its rule to where I think you can only have 10 headsets or something like that. I forget the exact number, but he said it limits the number of, head, of people you can have on headset during a game day. <laughs> and I, I believe the term that Saban used, he called it house manure, I believe, in <laughs> um, Destin for the SEC meeting. So that's kind of how he thinks about that. Um, obviously, he uses with the staff where they have the money for a gazillion headsets and they have enough coaches or you know, sideline people where they could put all these people on it, but he, he apparently didn't like the fact that that was a, an advantage that he had. I guess it's an advantage. I don't know. That has been taken away from him. So maybe that'll be the big one when we talk to Saban tomorrow. I can't remember uh, Saban. It's, I can't remember if he wears a headset or if he's always taking it off because I see him playing with his hair a lot. I can't remember if he's a headset guy or not. Uh, he, he does, and I wouldn't say taking it off so much as throwing it off. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's usually the image we have of him. So some interesting thoughts there from Matt Baker, who did, uh, after we talked to him on the podcast, he had a chance later that afternoon to talk to Dan Mullen uh, of the Gators. And, you know, Mullen had some some interesting things to say. I mean, he's a guy coming in um, to a program that's really been up and down. And what he talked about was, you know, he believes that the way things are going, that, that maybe Florida is sort of lacking its foundation. I mean, how do you explain – uh, you know, uh, sort of Steve, sort of a five-year window there where they, they won a couple SEC East titles, but then they, they surround those by a pair of four-win seasons. I mean, it really – there's been no real consistency, and I think you get that sometimes when you have um, that many coaching changes. Yeah, I think the coaching changes have to do with it. I think, you know, and I wasn't here during that time, but, you know, after Urban Meyer left and then – so Jeremy Foley goes out and hires Will Muschamp. I think it was mm-hmm. a bad fit for that program. And I think Florida's been built on offense. It's, it, it's, it, it, that's what it's known from Steve Spurrier on through all the quarterbacks. Fun and gun. Fun yeah, and gun, sure. yeah. It's a program. It, it's the fan base. It's, it's a school that it's going to be an offensive program. And to bring in a defensive coach who couldn't figure the offense out here, set that program back. And I think that, you know, I think McElwain's probably a good coach. I don't know if he's a great head coach or not, but – I think trying to clean up that from Muschamp, I don't think he ever had a shot either, and he never did find a quarterback that he could work with. But I, I think I think Muschamp was just a wrong 
I'm going to equate it back to to Michigan only because I follow that closely. But Rich Rodriguez was an awful fit for Michigan. Not a bad head coach. Not a bad head coach. But it was right. a complete culture change, complete change of how we do the program. And now it was it was offense and and run and gun and run and shoot instead of defense and run the ball, and it set them back a decade. You know, even through I, even through Brady Hoke, who nice guy but not a great coach, decent recruiter, but it set them back a decade because they tried to change what they were when when they were successful. And and not that Muschamp's a bad coach; it was a bad fit at Florida. I understand what you're saying. I think there was a certain, uh, you know, certain style of play, a certain culture that that uh, the Gators had built up. And I will say this about Muschamp, though, is and that is, he did not leave the cupboard bare. I mean, I I don't know in terms of offensive talent per se, although they did have some players that were pretty good. Um, I mean, how do you explain this? He leaves, McElwain comes in and wins ten games. I mean, he, there had to be some players there. Now they did have a really good defense. I'll grant you that was probably the stronger side of the ball. Um, but it wasn't as if they hadn't recruited anybody. No, I, uh, it's so, not about um, not recruiting. Know, I mean, Brady Hoke came in and won 11 games with Rich Rodriguez's guys at Michigan, and then it tailed off after point, there. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's not that they don't have the talent. It, it's You're trying to – you're swimming upstream at a program yeah. that's built one way, and from all the pressure and everything else going into the program, boosters and the athletic department and you name it, you're swimming upstream. It was just – it's a bad, not a bad coach, a bad fit. And it's bad not, that fit. He could, it, not that he didn't recruit players because he did. And 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 McElwain recruited some great players too. And there's you know Dan Mullen's not coming into an empty team. He's got mm-hmm. talent too. And and I don't know if Mac like I said I think you know McElwain when you're trying to and, and I'm saying clean up a mess. It's, it must didn't leave it a mess, but it, it changed the culture of what Florida was. And Mullen was there during Urban Meyer's time. He knows what yes. that he knows what the culture of Florida should be and has been and what's been successful there. And your hope is yeah. he can bring that back. He knows what it looks like, feels like, smells like. He's going to be the play caller, which is going to help them, I think. you know. And, and his offense won't be may, maybe even what he was doing at Mississippi State. I mean, he'll have to play to his talent. It's going to take him a few years. We're not sure exactly what they're going to do at quarterback, um, as, as we talked to Matt about. Um, but he's going to need one. Every program does. And, you know, is he lucky enough to find somebody like a Dak Prescott who completely, you know, changed the culture uh, while he was there at Mississippi State? I don't know. Um, but remember, Mullen stayed in the SEC, so you know it's this is not a stretch for him to go back to Florida. He's in the same conference, and now he's you know I mean I've always thought this because I covered Florida, um, and and I you know did a lot of Florida State games as well, and I obviously sat next to Bob Herrick for years who covered Florida State, and you know both those programs <clears throat> should be successful, but in a weird way, like I think Florida, you know has all the resources and the, the, the hundreds of years of history and everything else, the massive booster donations, all those things, they really should be, you know, the best program, in my opinion, in Flor- in the state of Florida, just because of, you know, of everything I just mentioned. Um, so it, it makes no sense that the Gators wouldn't come back. Is Mullen the guy that's going to do that? It's going to take him a few times. I think that Willie Taggart – will probably, at Florida State, have more immediate success, if I had to guess. I think the long-term success, though, might, might be the Gators. I think that they have every opportunity to get back and, and, and become you know, uh, perennial you know, SEC contenders and, and therefore, um, obviously, national contenders as well. But um, it may, it's not going to probably happen this year for, for necessarily either, either program. I mean, Florida State's not as good as Clemson. 
Um, they'll, you know, they still have Miami in that in that conference as well. We'll see how fast Willie can get things turned around there. Uh, but they have had some great recruiting classes, notwithstanding Jimbo Fisher's decision not to recruit at all in his, his last half of his last season there at Florida State. So, uh, but but we'll see what they do. I I like the I like the hire by Mullen. It's it's not going to wow anybody. But you know, Gator fan is very particular about who their coaches are, and he's one of theirs. I mean, he's. Mm-hmm. He's an adoptive Florida Gator, right? He was there when Meyer won it, um, and he coached Tim Tebow, and you know he 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 gets it. You know he he completely gets the whole Florida thing. This is his dream job, I would imagine. Um, so that that seems like a good fit as you're talking about college football. Well, he'll have a longer leash than most coaches coming in there would, and not that yes. you know he can you know go two and ten his first season, but right he'll get a little longer leash. The the alumni won't get as as antsy so quickly because he's one of them and 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 they know they know that he knows the success they've they've experienced he's been a part of that he knows what they want to get back to and they know that Mm -hmm. so yeah I mean I think it's a good hire the question is will he be able to recruit four and five star recruits instead of the three and four stars he was doing at Mississippi State is he stepping up now in in recruiting but he's at a better school that that allures to those recruits so Listen, it's a lot easier to get guys to go to Gainesville than it is Starkville, Mississippi. I mean, especially yes. if you're if you're trying to pull players out of the state of Florida anyway. Um, and you know, so I, I think he's going to do a good job. It's, like you said, I mean, any time it doesn't matter whether you're talking about college or the NFL. Um, maybe less so in college, but you know, you got to you got to when you change coaches, you you do usually set you know take step backwards because. Not every guy, you know, that was recruited by under Muschamp is going to fit the next guy, or not every guy recruited by, um, you know, McElwain is going to, is going to be the perfect fit for what they do with the next coaching staff, and so you know, all those things have to be weeded out, and it's unfortunate because you're talking about kids, and you know, they they sign under one coach, that coach leaves or gets fired, um, you know, they can find themselves in a pretty weird situation. That's why I'd always tell a kid, um, you know decide what university you want to graduate from more than what coach you want to play for. But that's, that's not realistic sometimes. So um, we'll see how they do. Meanwhile, um, the big, the big game of course uh, was, was Tuesday night, the all-star game in DC, a lot of pomp and circumstance before the game, got to see Kevin Cash introduced. And of course, Blake Snell was on the mound. He came in, uh, was it the third inning? I believe it third was. Inning, yeah. He pitched an inning yeah. in two thirds actually. Now it didn't go so well from the first pitch. He will remember his first All-Star pitch for for a ways to come because the Cubs catcher Wilson Contreras he threw a fastball middle middle and he didn't miss it. He lined one out of the ballpark for a home run to left field. But uh, Blake settled down and he threw uh, what thirty nine pitches, like you said, an inning and mm-hmm. a third, struck out a, inning uh, and two, two or thirds. three guys, inning and two thirds, inning and two thirds. I'm sorry, yeah, struck out a few guys and um, including Bryce Harper and. Nick Marcakis and some guys like that. So, uh, all in all, pretty good accounting of himself. He was, and he was allowed to go a little longer. I think I, I'm guessing that it may have been a rewarding for the snub of the All Star Game, and and you know not being announced to the team till late over the weekend. But also because this was his normal day to pitch. He pitched last Thursday, so this was actually been if they were still playing games this week, he would be pitching tonight. So they usually the teams will allow you to go a little longer in that case because they want to keep your arm you know, on a fairly regular rotation of that. So I'm guessing that's why he went an inning and two-thirds, unlike uh, Chris Sale before him and, and Luis Severino before him and that. 
Yeah, just nice that he could make the All Star team. He deserved to be there and and uh, and and had you know pretty good outing. So um, that was that was fun to watch. As far as you know, Mark Tompkins, you can read more about Snell's reaction to that in the Tampa Bay Times. Uh, Mark Tompkins, of course, was at the All Star game bringing you coverage. One of the things he did. Uh, while he was in Washington, was talked to uh, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manford, who uh, weighed in on the Rays' new stadium plans, and, and basically he gave it his uh, thumbs up, seal of approval, whatever you want to call. It. He likes the design. He thinks it's um, you know certainly uh, unique to Florida and to the Tampa Bay region. Likes the market. He has always said that. I don't think we heard anything new from Manfred, but. Just a lot of confidence in Stuart Sternberg and his ability to be creative enough to pull this off is what I gathered from Mark's interview. Yeah, Brent Manfred seemed very positive about both Tampa Bay and Oakland stadium situation, where mm-hmm. you know uh, both are looking for new stadiums, uh, and, and I know like you know Portland would love to lure the A's up there, but uh, you know my guess is they'll stay in Oakland, uh, and Portland will end up getting an expansion team potentially, but. Um, yeah, Manfred positive, nothing new. It was just, you know, Hey, Stu Sternberg's a great owner. He's done great things. He's resourceful, creative, mm-hmm. you know, he'll get this done. Uh, loves the design, as you said. So, uh, you know, not the normal or, or the sometimes, you know, veiled threats from Manfred about, you know, got to get a stadium or else, you know, it wasn't none of that yeah. today. It was all positive. It'd be great if, uh, MLB could float them about, um, $600 million for that ballpark, but that's probably not going to happen, I guess. Um, but maybe he can. Maybe he'll actually come to a game and you know in the new yard when they when they open an. Well, end. he'll come to the All Star game when we get that after we. Open That's the, park. the point I was going to make. Like when you build a new ballpark, you're going to get the All Star game pretty soon thereafter. So it's pretty much a done deal cool anymore. Deal. Yeah, yeah. It's very similar in the NFL. Same thing. The stadium game is you build one. Even in Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for gosh sakes, you're going to get a Super Bowl, which is pretty weird. But that's that's the way it's going to go with the stadium game. Yeah. Now, did you so, hear this? Uh, speak- did you hear this? There was controversy at the Home Run Derby Monday night. What controversy? There's cheating there possibly- in the Home Run Derby. The, there was I believe, no cheating. I believe the championship is under protest. I saw Bryce Harper hit nine home runs in like 50 seconds. He took he had That's eight, the eight point. swings. The rules of the Home Run Derby, you cannot pitch the next pitch until the ball has landed. In no, that last minute, on. his dad was chucking him up there as soon as fast as he could. <laughs> And the rules of the Home Run Derby say the oh, ball has no. to land before the next pitch is pitched. Oh, no. We're under protest. Is that how this goes? No, it's not really. But there, but there were a lot of people on Twitter and that saying, hey, these, they're, they're cheating. Wow. And by the rule of the law, they were. Or, the, you know, the, the letter of the law. Yeah, I mean, the other guys did wait. I mean, I was wondering how you could get off nine home runs in 50 seconds or something like yeah. that. Well, because as soon um, as he hit them, the next pitch was coming. I mean... Yeah, it had it to swing it had to and reset. Swing and reset. Balls in balls in the air as soon as he as soon as I didn't know it was a swing. rule that you had to wait till the ball landed. I didn't know that. I I did know that, but it, it's not like they, you know, I mean, there's not a split-screen camera to tell you when the ball hits the seats or not, you know what I well, mean? Well, the problem but is television's general, going, wait a minute. We we want to we want to see the ball land, but we want to see you hit it too. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's sort of why they do it, it that probably, way. Yeah, it's probably it, more they, of a rule for ESPN. Yeah, it's a TV thing because otherwise you would just hear the crowd kind of yell. And sometimes when you see it off the bat, you think, oh, that's gone. And then you find out that it's hit a mile high and lands at second base. Um, So, you know, and then there are others that are foul. And so you do have to kind of cover the flight of the ball. And that's what cameras want to do. But, yeah, I guess I guess by the letter of the law that maybe Bryce Harper cheated. But, man, it was dramatic. I I mean, that was uh, that was interesting watching him pump him out of there like that. 
you know, and he pretty much needed all of them. Well, he did need all of them. Yeah, because he struggled the first half that uh, of that sure the finals did. round, and then he heated up. Well, he had eight. He is sitting there with what? Do you have like uh, nine? Nine with uh, eight, fifty eight, seconds nine to go. Nine with fifty <laughs> seconds to go. I mean, almost an impossible feat. And you know, Kyle Schwarber said that he he didn't feel like he that that was enough that he had done enough, um, which is amazing to me. But it was it was good drama, and you know, he was Harper was good afterwards and talked about you know. It was like his being in the backyard with his dad again, and and you know the kid in him came out because he's he can be a guy that's kind of sullen at times and moody and and um, you know his future is certainly up in the air with in terms of you know whether or not he'll be he'll be in Washington after this season or even finish the year there. So um, that was that was neat to see, and of course he got a great ovation for the All Star game, even though the first two times anyway he struck out, so um, that didn't go as well. Maybe he was tired from the. Uh, Tired from swinging out all the all the home run derby derby uh, pitches or whatnot. So tomorrow would be a great opportunity. We are getting so close to the start of Bucks training camp, and uh, we're obviously with the second half of the race season is almost underway. So we'll have a good opportunity to have a mailbag, and we want you guys to uh, submit your questions as you always do. It's one of our better segments of the week, and so uh, in order to do that, you can always interact with us uh, on Twitter. Submit your questions to at SportsDayTV, at SportsDayTV, or on my Twitter feed at NFL Stroud, or you can email me at rstroud at tampabay.com, and we will uh, take those and make you famous and say your name and, um, you know, have some time talking about the Bucks, the Rays, the Lightning, anything you want to bring to the table, college football, you name it. Uh, we will discuss it uh, on the podcast tomorrow. And Steve, um, we always like for these guys to rate and review this podcast as well. Where can they do that? Anywhere you get your podcasts, whether you're getting it through iTunes or maybe it's Google Play. Uh, maybe you use iHeartRadio or Stitcher or TuneIn or SoundCloud. Uh, it's all there. Or any third-party apps, just search for Sports Day Tampa Bay. Click the subscribe button. That way it downloads to your mobile device every day automatically, and you can listen whenever you'd like. If you like the, the podcast that day, hit the like button or leave a comment. That always helps us, or share it with a friend. Love to get your feedback. So it's mailbag tomorrow. Submit your questions on Twitter if you can. Um, we'll enjoy doing that. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Burstink. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.